1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your and our joy complete. A question as we begin our adventure into this book of First John. How can God accomplish the impossible mission of bringing himself this incomprehensible, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God out from his realms of the completely supernatural spirit world over into the realms of natural man and do it in such a way that man is able to see him and to rationally consider his existence. In Hebrews 11, the scriptures tell us that for us to even begin a relationship with him, we have to know that he exists. That's what God was doing. And that's what God is explaining to us here. So the answer to the question, how does he come out of that supernatural existence into our natural existence? The answer is that God did all of that in the person of the Lord Jesus. And then now here in these precious infallible words of 1 John, the apostle bears personal witness to having seen God's miraculous incarnation. Let me read those words for us again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make your and our joy complete. These words that we just read describe Jesus Christ as He came from His eternal glory there in the Trinity in heaven and to do as these scriptures tell us to dwell among men, to dwell among us. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And no, though I can read and say and believe all of these words, I cannot truly comprehend the wonder of what God has done, who He is and what He has done. Because just as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are spirit, so also the Lord Jesus was and is spirit. As vast and as omnipotent as God the Father and God the Spirit Jesus also is so vast as a spirit himself that he also spans all of the universes that exist in the heavens. 
I want us to consider this for a moment. As I said, Jesus was and is a member of the eternally existent Trinity. How do we know that? Verses 1 and 2 clearly declare that He, Jesus, was with God the Father in the beginning. In the beginning. He existed there long before He was born into the flesh. Long before any flesh was born. And we're especially told about that in John chapter 1 in the, the Gospel of John. That He was one of the Trinity and He was the one in the Trinity that actually created everything that's created. The sun, the moon, the stars, all of us. Let me read those words for you quickly. This is from the Gospel of John chapter 1. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. Same words that we read here. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then that is testified again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. By the way, those words, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, those are angels, both good angels and demonic angels. He did not create them in a demonic form, but they became that way. But this is what he's talking about here. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. As you and I try to visualize Jesus, at least for myself, our thoughts usually reduce down to that average-looking man who once walked the ground there in Israel. And that truly was Him. But as we read these Scriptures, we see that Jesus was that, yes, but so much more. He is God. The Jehovah's Witness missionaries that come to my door and to your door, they do not believe that. Just that one statement, that Jesus was with God in the beginning, as these words clearly define. They do not believe that He is God. The Mormons do not believe that He is God. But the Lord Jesus is God, and He was then, and He still is. And He is Spirit. He's not only the resurrected Christ, that vision that we have of that average-looking man that walked the ground of Israel. He is also this vast, omnipresent Spirit who at this very moment also spans the length and the breadth of all the universes in the heavens. And no, you and I can't fathom that. But we have to believe it by faith. And understand that, yes, we are hampered by our ordinary human ability to comprehend the incomprehensible. We can only see things and or understand things as far as our senses take us, our hearing, our seeing, our touching and smelling. But may I say again, Jesus is so much, much more than our senses are able to provide for us. He is all that these scriptures say that He is and then infinitely more. Another question. How then with all of this being so about God's infinite nature being so unfathomable, 
to our human mind, can we even begin to know God? Because He tells us that that's what He wants us to do. Well, thanks be to God, He made that provision for us. He first sent His Holy Spirit into the world. And yes, we understand the Holy Spirit came more fully after Jesus went back to His glory in heaven. But even before that, long before that, long before Jesus was born, the Holy Spirit came to prepare the minds of men for the revelation that was going to come in Jesus Christ. And we can read all about that, all through the prophets, all through the laws. And so the Holy Spirit was revealing that Jesus was coming. The book of Isaiah is especially filled with that. But over in the New Testament, and I love these words, I quote them to you often in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How do we know about Jesus? How can we truly accept what we are reading here in these scriptures? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that spiritual truths, for them to be received, for us, for you, to receive spiritual truths, it has to come through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to us. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 12, we read, Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, and listen, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words, taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That's what's taking place right at this moment as I give this to you. The Holy Spirit is doing exactly this, which things we also speak, it says, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That truth, folks, has been evident from the beginning. For a person to even begin to receive and accept the presence of God, the reality of Him must be conveyed to us by the Holy Spirit. That's why we can read the words I've read to you this morning and say, yes, Jesus was there in the beginning with God. He wasn't just someone who was born later. As our Jehovah's Witness folks would like us to believe. He was there. We can believe it because we read it and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. I don't know why He doesn't reveal it to them. I'll leave that to Him. But then, so He has sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could begin to perceive who He is and who He's going to be in our lives. And then next, God the Father sent His beloved Son. Second way we get to know who God is. And He tells us that in the most quoted words in all of the Bible, John 3.16, where He tells us that God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And now today, we read again. Notice how God is saying it over and over again. Why does He do that? He wants you and me to understand it to accept it, to receive it for ourselves. So here in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, I'm going to read this again for us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, now John has heard him, this is, this is eyewitness testimony. We know 
what we think we know about historical figures, and we believe that. The secularists believe that. Why won't they take this eyewitness testimony? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your and our joy complete. This is a simple gospel. Jesus humbly set aside His glory in heaven and He came here to dwell among us in a human form, in a body exactly like yours and mine, experiencing all of the frailties and the weaknesses that we experience. And then by His death, burial, and resurrection, He brought redemption to us. Now, another question. One that I pondered as I've read these words penned by John here and and also over in the book of John. Besides our needing to comprehend this perplexing concept of Jesus being a spirit, here in these scripture passages, we encounter another incomprehensible concept about the Lord Jesus. And that is about Him being the Word of God. The Word of God. Have you wondered why God described the Lord Jesus as the Word? The Word of God. Why does the Holy Spirit call Jesus the Word? Let me read that again for us. That's over in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Another word we'll want to remember. Word and life. He is the word, and in him is life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, we read, And that word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as the only Son, the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now here Jesus is being introduced to us as the Word of God. And I confess that I have often wished that the Holy Spirit had used the name Jesus at least once in those first few verses there of John chapter 1. Because even seasoned readers, I believe, can get confused a little bit as they read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then it's only down in verse 14 that we learn the true identity of the Word, where we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the Father. Now, I don't know why the Holy Spirit chose this form of usage of this word, word. Perhaps it's because of what he, or or similar to what Jesus said when the disciples asked why he spoke in parables. 
he explained to them, it's because I don't necessarily want all of those secular scholars to understand what I'm saying. I want you to understand what I'm saying. Here in John 1, and also in 1 John 1, the Holy Spirit seems to be desirous of us knowing more about who Jesus actually is and what He does rather than His name. We know His name. One of the understandings that I have gained by the Holy Spirit using the name Word is that Jesus, as we mentioned earlier about Psalm 19, that Jesus is the voice of God. When God calls Him the Word, it's saying that He is the voice of God. That voice that comes forth from the Trinity. He's the spoken Word of God. It's that voice that we spoke about in Psalm 19. Let me read that again for us. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Now we may look at that verse and say, oh, well, what God is saying is that we can look at it and it can be obvious to us that something about God. But that's not all that He's saying here. Let me say this again. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That is more than just an evidentiary observance of the heavens. This is a voice that's speaking to you and me and to all the earth. There is no person on this earth that doesn't hear that voice. I heard R.C. Sproul use an example one time. He said that often he has these questions about, well, what about the innocent person in Africa that's never heard of God? There is no place that this voice is not heard. It's as plain as that. So there are no innocent people in those jungles or wherever they might be. John 1 tells us that in the beginning, this all-powerful, all-knowing voice of God, this Word, simply spoke. And by the power of the words of His mouth, everything that now exists came into being. By His simple utterance of the words, let there be, everything came into existence. Let there be light. Let there be vegetation upon the earth. Let there be the sun and the moon and all the stars. Let there be. This is a voice that's speaking. And as He spoke it, it came into existence. The evolutionists tell us that everything came into existence at one time, at least at the beginning part of it. They're almost right. But it wasn't a big bang. It was God speaking. And it coming into existence in the moment. Folks, this Word of God... The Lord Jesus, He is magnificent beyond anything we can imagine. Now here in our passage in 1 John, the voice, the Word of God is being addressed again and He's saying the Word of life. Two parts of that expression, the Word of life. Jesus is the Word, but He's also the life. In Him 
is life. John chapter 1 said that also. And so here, let me read these again quickly for us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants you and me to immediately understand that this word of life truly is Jesus and that He is God. And for those people who do want evidence, there's a lot of folks out there that, yes, they have faith, but they want to see evidence of that God exists. God is doing that here. And even for us who need our faith bolstered by some evidence, and all of us have that problem, I know I do. Here the Apostle John is testifying over and over and over again that he personally heard, that he personally saw, and he personally touched this man Jesus, that he really did exist. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, our hands have touched, we've proclaimed concerning the word of life. John is testifying to Jesus' physical presence because he personally saw him and touched him. And if you recall, there's a scripture reference of where John actually laid his head over on Jesus' breast. Wonderful thought. But that is solid eyewitness testimony for the person that needs eyewitness testimony. And then there in verse 1, the Holy Spirit makes that declaration about Jesus. He called Jesus the Word of Life. And that's so very important that we grasp God's intent in that particular name. Again, over in John chapter 1, we saw there that Jesus was described as having the life in Him, eternal life in Him. And for us to have this life, we have to receive Him. It's not as if you and I can know about Him. It's not enough that you and I believe in Him. There's another step. You and I have to receive Him. We can't just believe in Him. Recall that's in one of the soils. They believe for a while. But there's another step. You and I have to receive Him. 1 John 5, and we'll study this later when we study 1 John 5. But listen to these words in 1 John 5. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Jesus is the Word of life. And if you and I are to have eternal life, we must first have Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. We must take that step of receiving Him. Here also, John declares one of the great blessings to us of having this Word of life living within us. Because He lives within us, we can then have a blessed fellowship with other people. He talks about that in verse 3. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your and our joy complete. Now, 
that's what takes place in our churches and in our fellowship, in our neighborhoods with other believers. As we have this oneness in belief with a Christian, another Christian, we can have such blessed fellowship with them. Immediately there's a bond, even if the person is a stranger. Immediately there is a, an acceptance of each other. John chapter 17. Listen to these words. This is Jesus praying to the Father about this oneness that takes place that the words of First John are talking about. That they may be, this is verse 21 of John 17, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And again, here in these words of 1 John, beginning there in verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, this word of life given to you and me and our salvation, it fills us and gives us blessings beyond measure. It is a sweet fellowship that we have with other believers. And it makes our life, our daily life, so pleasant. Now I'm going to close one last thought concerning this, this blessed fellowship that we have with other believers. This is the reason why God commands you and me to always choose a life mate, a husband or a wife who is a believer, and to not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Living in intimate closeness with a wife or a husband requires that we be one with Christ, that we be one with each other, and that we be in one accord. And it's the only way that we can be in one accord is for us to be bound together with that third strand of the Spirit of Christ dwelling within both within a marriage relationship, with Him in us, we can be one and in one accord with that one that is our life mate. Listen as I close. That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and now has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy and our joy complete. Let's pray.